come in. This is Frank from the Dimension X. But hello, you can call me Lord Frank, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The FSF Podcast, the show that introduces you to the voices in our heads. Fortunately for all of us, they're often the voices of our guests. <laughs> our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Redshirt Crewman number er, number infinity. Wow, this is this is a new one. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Buzz and Woody against the evil Zerg, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back. And what's left of his name in permanent marker. All right, guys, our guest today is a legendary voice actor who has worked in some of the most iconic shows in history uh, when it comes to animation. Uh, Shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Incredible Hulk animated series, G.I. Joe, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Roll Wrestling. Heck yeah. Uh, (laughs) Ghostbusters, Brave Star, Tailspin. I could keep going, but there's like 300 some odd listings in his IMDb list. It's fantastic. It's a a stroll through your childhood. We're going to go through that in just a little bit here. But we are so very honored to welcome Patrick Fraley to the FSF podcast. The, The honor is mine, Tim and Kathleen. Oh, you're far too kind. We'll see if you feel that way about a half. Yeah, see if you feel that way in a half about a half hour. We'll see how we're yeah, doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> in ten minutes, he's like, uh, "How do I get out of Our this?" Our charm has a tendency to wear off after about ten minutes. <laughs> right, I'll be like Sean Penn early when he was young. There you go. Uh, out of all the guests that I've done research for in the last little bit, I really did enjoy doing research for you because, like I said, it was like it was a stroll through my childhood and yeah. a lot of the shows. Because, uh, you know, I, I was born in 76, so a lot of the, the animation that was in the late eight, mid to late 80s and early 90s, that was the sweet spot for me. And you did a lot of cool stuff uh, back in those days. Um, and I found a bunch of other interviews that you had done, and you were talking about the process of voice creation for characters. And you went through step by step how you broke down Krang's voice for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how you added in each of the layers and the facets of that. And I'm not going to ask you to recreate that all here, but my question for you is, is that a common process for you when it came to each one of your characters, how you processed what you thought their that character's voice should sound like, or was this something that was just for Krang? I did a little on most all things, because of thinking actors, that's good. It's good to think and come in with a choice. I didn't at all with Krang. See, Stu Rosen had directed the pilot of, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Barry Gordon, Rob Paulson, Cam Clark, Pete Renaday, you know, the cast. Right. He recorded it on a Saturday, and he cast himself in four major roles. Well, that Fred was a, Fred Wolf was a, let's call it, frugal. And so he hated that. <laughs> So he got the director and said, who do we get? Now, I'd worked with Fred in a movie with Barry Gordon years uh, before. And he said, get Pat Fred. So I came in and auditioned. He gave me two minutes. I looked at the script, and it had a picture, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I thought, oh, that's really going nowhere. What a totally stupid title. That is when I read the description, Krang, an evil, bodiless blob of a brain, evil, funny, uh, but funny. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, what I did is I just threw the form, the six elements of character voice, pitch, pitch characteristic, tempo, rhythm, placement, and mouth work together. I just threw it against the, like linguine against the wall. If it sticks, it was good. So I got it all. I got this whole puffy thing because he's undulating. He's a blob. He didn't have an android then. And when he, when I got upset personally, I would get a heartburn because I had four boys in five years, as I mentioned to Tim and you earlier. And I go, no, Pappy, book that now. And I'd hurt. Well, I learned on recess how to knock backwards, right? So that sounds like heartburn. I thought, well, I can't do it between lines. I'll have to do it on words. Like, oh, just do it, you know? <laughs> and uh, that was part of it. But then I'm about ready. They said, okay, Friday, come in. Wait, wait. And I thought, I'm not funny. I'm just evil. And so you two, Tim and Kath or Kathleen or both, guess at what I did. And I go, Teenage Mute Ninja Turtles, this is what I got for surrounding my job with idiots. <laughs> what am I doing when I script all that off? Let me give it to you without scraping it all off. This is what I get for surrounding myself with idiots. I'm a Jewish mother. No one knew, and they, they always say something fine, like, fine, I'll take the bagel. There's always an intonation that's funny. And I did that, and I never told them. You don't tell them anything, you know, because they, even the director after 200 shows, she'd go, pat, pat, go, don't go low on that word. She thought, low, was that inside? I never told her. If she watches it, she'd go, that's what he was doing. I'm going to look at Krang in a whole new light now. I love Right? That. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of cool that, you know, to hear, and, and I, I love, thank you for, for you know, showing us how you did that right now. But I, and I, I do think that's so cool how you just, you know, you, you added these different pieces and parts to the voice, and it, it really does create the character. And, and I actually, in my head, as you're talking, I'm seeing Krang talking, you know, because having watched it so much as a kid, and it, yeah, so it's that's really kind of a cool callback for me. Well, Tim, it's really manipulating the form. The six character voice elements are about form. But with any artful endeavor, there's form and content. Form is mm -hmm. the outside, content is inside. God gave me a skill of taking the form and having it affect the inside. Because when you see me do Krang, as you've been watching, it's inside. Mm -hmm. Everything I've ever done goes to the inside. And, okay. you know, I always say, well, I, I clawed my way to the middle. And how did I do it? I cheated. I acted. Because I'm on background was acting. 50, I did 50 plays before I did any funny voices. And I got a Master of Fine Arts in acting from Cornell, I went six years there, moved to Australia to do more Shakespeare because we had no option in those days. And I'm older. Uh, I'm 74. So when I went to Australia, 
it was because somebody said we get a lot on Shakespeare. I thought I'd do theater. I didn't realize at the point you make no money, but I had no idea. We didn't have improv classes. We didn't have comedy stores, nothing. And okay. so if you wanted to act, you took theater. Mm-hmm. Grammar. Okay. So let me let me follow up that with, so if that was where you got your start, what was the influence that made you want to become an actor and do the plays? Was it just a love for Shakespeare or was there something else attached to it? I think, I, you know, I think it was my mom who was really exaggerated because she grew up uh, in uh, deaf schools, North Dakota deaf school, the okay. Idaho State School for the Deaf and Blind, because... My grandfather was the superintendent of deaf and blind schools and deaf schools. He had actually graduated in 1907 from Gallaudet, which is a deaf university. So she was really encouraging, but she was also really funny and exaggerated. And here we are in stoic Scandinavia in Seattle, and I'm the closest thing to an ethnic they had. So I gave them a little more. So I was... I liked it. Even when I was four years old, I was playing army with the kids and they wanted to shoot me because I died really good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you arch your back and you foam a little like this, but you won't die if you're American, just Nazis. (laughs) So uh, that's where it came from. It's God instilling it through my mother. It's interesting to me, though, that you mentioned, uh, you know, because I, I did not see that about your about your mother and your grandfather but with the deaf schools and things. Now my mom does some uh, ASL, you know, translation, and having over the years watched people who do ASL, and you know, speaking to, with the deaf community that way or the hard of hearing community that way, um, the the it, it all makes a lot of sense to me right now because of how exaggerated yeah. they are and they're ana- they're so animated with their hands and their facial yes. expressions. If you watch someone have a conversation in sign language, you see that they're exaggerated. Come on in, don't be dumb. What right. you know? They're huge now. Yeah, I don't think Tony Hopkins got that. When when he does a movie, I'm sure all his career he heard, "Give me a little more, Tony, a little more." I never heard that. I'm incapable of subtlety. So when I got to Australia, yeah, when they there was a checkoff play, oh, the pilot light went out. It's hard for me to be real and, and do a movie and barely act. You know, don't get caught. Oh, my goodness. So doing character voices was a natural for me. Yeah, it just makes so much more sense now knowing that. It really does to me. And mm-hmm. you know, even even watching your animation as you were doing Crane's voice earlier, just that that all just kind of came out as well. So yeah, it does. I didn't know. I yeah, that. I yeah, no you're, idea. You're, I don't I have no idea what I look for. But I'll tell you what: if you put me in front of a microphone, or like right now, because my picture is teeny, I'm fine. I had no fear. Put me put turn the video on, and I can tell a difference. Mm. Fair enough. I understand that. You know, Pat, when I was rather young, one of the highlights of my day was the Disney afternoon block of shows. So Darkwing Duck, Bonkers, Tailspin, Goof Troop. Oh, those those were the good days. Those were the yes. good days. And I've, you got, can... I've got a good story about one of those. I did them all. 
but I was a regular playing Wildcat, the uh, ignorant but lovable Wildcat, you know, the yes. monk line. Oh, yeah. Well, he says, Balloon is just a rancher, banana, I forget. They go, oh, look, there's a new island on the map. No, it's guacamole. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had a hard time casting that character because he's prognatic and he looks stupid. You'd think he's going to be tough like this, right? But I thought, well, maybe I'll make him naive. And it harkens back to the deaf schools. I didn't know this. But this kind of doing this kind if you listen to a deaf person, try to stop, there's no tone, and they do like that. And and in a lot of circumstances, there's something other than just being deaf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something that they're struggling with. So I get the role. I do it. I got a good director that lets me go. And 20 years later, I get a call from a psych- psychoanalyst in New York, upstate New York, and says, will you take a call from... Um, one of my uh, patients, she's, uh, in those days, she's autistic. They didn't say on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I said, yeah, well, she called. Now, here's what I figured out. In those days, and I know about a lot about people on the spectrum, you know, Joe Montaigne's kid, Ed Asner's kid, mm-hmm. uh, my nephew is on the spectrum. They call it Asperger's or, or something. I don't know anybody who isn't on the spectrum, by the way. So here she is. She gets on a bus to go to the public school because they had uh, resources then. Remember, Mm -hmm. public schools had classes for people who were challenged. Mm -hmm. She gets humiliated all the way through and through the halls, comes home, and after school, she turns on tailspin, and she sees a character that everybody else adores. And I'm I'm telling you, I mean, because my business traditionally is the amusement business, which is Greek for not think, amuse. Mm-hmm. You don't think, you just laugh, right? Right. Mm-hmm. When you get a taste of meaning, that's what happened to Bob Hope going to war all the time. And Bob was not funny. He was always going to war because he would be making 15,000 GIs laugh knowing 10,000 would die the next day at Tarawa. You know? Mm-hmm. Meaning. Yeah. yeah. Take their mind off of it for a little bit, give them something else to focus on. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But with those shows, with those characters, I actually did want to talk about Wildcat specifically, because he was one of your longest running characters of that that time. Yeah. So if you could have him join the team of another show, where would you want to see him? And what do you think the results would be like? I don't know, because the, the, all the styles are different. Some of them are really kind of bone real. Some are uh, like you grew up with Hanna-Barbera and wacky, over-the-top stuff. Mm-hmm. And I created Tailspin to fit into a cast. I was more ridiculous because I was comedy relief, which I did a lot with the other characters. Sal- Sally Struthers was in it, uh, Ed Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Jim Cummings, Denny Mann, you know. I don't know where I'd fit in. I think I'd probably have to take him down, whatever it is, because there's not very many exaggerated shows. Maybe the one that's uh, SpongeBob would be one that I'd fit into. Wildcat and SpongeBob would be hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'd fit into that show, but that show's gone. That's true. I um, I know it was from the same era, but I mean, I would have loved to have seen him, you know, on Darkwing. Oh yes, yes, with you Jim Cummings playing Darkwing Duck. I did a lot of shows with Jim Cummings, and he's arguably the best voiceover I ever met. I mean, come on, yeah, Smokey Jim. the Bear, and he has Winnie the Pooh. Get out of here! And his acting in. And Star Wars. Yeah, and know that we're all reading. Now, we're performing on book. When I listen to an audio book, I don't hear people reading. Really good narrators like George Goodall, Scott Brick, my buddy. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're reading to me. They're just telling me a story. And that's yeah. what we do. And Jim is just incredible at it. I'm not. I have to read and read because I'm dyslexic. But when I get it right, I get it right. And guess what? Animation, there's short lines. That's they cool. put up with me. Well, I'm glad that they did because, you know, uh, you may think that you're not that good, but we think you're great. And that's why we wanted to have you on the show. That's It's, you know, when we have people on the show, it's because they've meant something to us or there's, a, there's something that they do that's exciting to us mm-hmm. and You've done a lot of things that have meant something to us and a lot of things that have, have been exciting to us. So thank you for being the character that you've been well, over the course, years. of course, my process is painful. But, you know, like I, I could see that. Fan, right? 91 characters. I had to create dialects because they're on the Mississippi River. Who does, what does a guy in town between Arkansas and Louisiana sound like? You got to make it yeah. up. Yeah. Okay, I did it. Fine. I had a director. I was in a studio. It took two and a half months daily. I I, I couldn't do one sentence and not foul up, but I got it. And I learned how to edit, believe me. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'd come Um, home so depressed, and I'd load up what I did that night, and for hours I'd edit, and I'd go, that's not bad. That's not bad. And that kept me going. I absolutely despise editing. I'm so glad Kathleen's husband, John, does all of our editing. And I'm so glad that we have a John. And we typically have a third member of our of our our co our hosting panel here. Uh, really? Nick. Yeah, Nick, his name is Nick. And Nick helps with the editing as well. So I'm glad we have a John and a Nick, because if we didn't, then that means I'd have to do some and I don't really want to. So you, you got to be patient. I and see. And that's the thing. I'm not a patient person. I am highly not a patient person. I can admit that freely. I want what I want and I want it now and I want it to sound good and and look good and be good and all those things. And that's why I have a John to take care of my ums and but ums and does and, you know, all those other things that I add in as word whiskers. So, yeah, but you, you mentioned uh, just now. So this actually was one of the things I want to talk to you about was about doing the, the narration, because now one of the things I did not know about you, I mean, I knew that you did a lot of the characters that you did and a lot of the for the animated series, but I did not know that you also did narration uh, for some books. And so according to Audible, there was a handful of books that you've done. Um, now, some of the voice actors that we've interviewed uh, are also book narrators as well. And so we asked them this following question. How does your preparation for a book differ than from a voice role in an animated series or video game? Not, not much. You read the book, you make notes, you have in mind what you're going to do, and it really is acting. You know, people that are really good, they know the 
arc of a story. They know who the protagonist is. Mm-hmm. If there's a whodunit and there's a red herring, you know what that is, Kathleen? A red herring? It's when you sort read of. a book and you think that guy did it, and it turns out he didn't. That's true, right. He's the red herring, yeah. So it's not much different. And you know what? Narration is a cheap tuxedo word for performing or acting mm-hmm. and reading. Come on. It's way out of it. Even Barbara Rosenblatt years ago, I mean, 20 years ago, said, don't ever call it that. It's it's not reading. And so it's no different that way. You you have to not sound like you're reading. Now, back in the day, Elliot Gould used to do books, and he sounded like he was reading to you. And I liked it. It's fine. But that's reading. Mm-hmm. No more. Yeah, I, I would say that one because I listen to a lot of books on, you know, I, I used to be a big reader when I was a kid, and then I discovered movies and uh, pretty much Me gave too. up on the books, gave up on the books. But I love audiobooks, and so I listen to those quite often. And one of my favorites that I'm listening to right now is uh, Lord of the Rings being uh, narrated by Andy Serkis. Wow. And that's phenomenal because he's doing the voices, he's doing, he's got a narrator voice, and then he's got... You know, he's doing the voice of the different characters and, and also knowing right. that he's Gollum in the movies as well. And he, you know, it's just... I think there's our dear beloved Smeagol in there. Yeah. Well, so. l- let me give you a, a fast, because I love to teach. I have a passion for performing. Yeah, please and a do. passion for teaching. Now, there is a thing that happens with narrators that you, you may not be aware of. It's called modeling or shape-shifting. Okay. I'm going to give you an example. Sam reading. And it's a... Okay. She walked down the hallway. She had the baseball bat in her left hand. If she could only make it to the kitchen, he was in the kitchen having an apple. He thought, well, I'll finish the apple, then I'll kill her. Okay, now that's good. I like it, right? I get the same lines. She walked down the hallway. The baseball bat was in her left hand. If she could only make it to the kitchen. He was having an apple in the kitchen. He thought, mm, maybe I'll kill her after I finish. You see? Mm-hmm. So it's you're really acting different. even though you're narrating a little. You're not the character, but you get closer. Yeah. You mess with it. No, I like that. And that yeah, adds, I do too. It adds so you much see, to the story. It's not just, it could, I lived in Australia and I learned a lot about America when I lived there. It was right after Nixon went in the early 70s, 74, 75, 70, at that time. It's either American or it's everybody. It's not enough to have you share the information. We want to know what you think and feel about it. Right. That could be American or X. Well, you we even borrow a language to use. We don't know, but we want to know how you feel. So that's I, I don't I back off a bit with my UK students because they don't have that. Mm-hmm. Not as much. Okay. Makes sense. Interesting. So with all of the different voice roles that you've had and the narrating of the audiobooks, if there was and, and I'm sure that you probably go over this in your class, what piece of advice do you what is your like your your key piece of advice that you give to somebody who's looking to get into the voiceover career 
Well, I heard something from Steve Martin last week, you know, the comedian. Mm -hmm. okay. Excuse me. <laughs> and he said, a lot of people ask me how you get into this. And they expect me to say, well, you got to get an agent, you know, that isn't a manager. And then you go about auditioning. And I said, I never have said that. And no one's ever taken my advice. But here it is. Be the best. Then they'll come to you. And it's easier that way. And I've always strived to be the best possible. And you, because you want them to go, oh, uh, who do we have to play this for? Oh, just get Kathleen. She'll do it fine. Now, Tim, Tim's the kind of guy that would do this right. And then they call you. It's not like you have to audition. Well, you might have to audition too. By the way, it reminds me, uh, John Malkovich, somebody asked him, how many auditions have you done? And he went, oh, one. One? Dude, I've done thousands. But <laughs> he was good from the get-go. From right. the first time I saw him with, a, what was the movie with Sally Beals? Blind something. He was a blind man. Oh. But all the way through, he's good. Like Rene Zellweger, the only person, reason we know how to pronounce Zellweger, right? She worked from the time she got out of school in Texas. Why? They liked her. Right. The way she yeah. looked, the way she talked, the way she, oh, she got better. I mean, have you seen Judy that she did mm -hmm. about Judy Garland? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. She's phenomenal. But yeah. everyone gets better if they are good and work because you yeah. learn from work. Except if you're stinky, you just get faster and more efficient at being stinky. It's like being on tour. You you save energy. Uh, so the the movie was uh, Places in the Heart. I had to look it up. That's I'm, it. Like, I'm, yes. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to focus if I don't know what the movie title. I know. Is. No, I know. I've you, seen it. I love that. But he was that good. I and mean, who's that guy? It's like Robert Duvall in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. He was 27 years old when he played Blue Boo Boo Radley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was in his 20s, but he was that good. He was. I also I wonder, love that. I wonder if John Malkovich had to audition for the movie uh, being John Malkovich. <laughs> he said, <laughs> really, he said one audition. That's just I, crazy. I, I, you know, that's what he says. Wow. And, you know, he's, he's delightful to watch and scary. In the Line of oh. Fire. Oh, scares the heck out of me. I, My sister know, I, actually will not watch any movie with John Malkovich in it. It's me and Harvey Keitel. I can't <laughs> watch him. I can't. I love him. He's a good actor. He's great, but... He scares me too much. Oh, yeah. No, my sister My sister got to the point where she's like, I can't watch John Malkovich movies. Like, the way his mouth moves when he talks. She's like, oh, it creeps me out. Can't do it. Mm -mm. I'm going to get the pig. Sorry, it's just a re <laughs> reference from the movie Red. Love that movie. <laughs> Listen, by the way, both Sky Brick, who's in over a thousand books on audio. Lives down the street from me. He's my buddy, and I teach with him. And I have a new audio uh, home study course we got to do sometime. It's called Audiobooks Goes to the Movies. Because oh. we have to admit, both of us got better at what we do from watching movies. That's where we got it. Because in an audiobook, there's no cut to, cut to, cut to. You don't see 
Rick in Casablanca walk to the safe and in the shadows open it and get the letters of transit out. You got you got to pause. Some otherwise you lose a little person listening to you. That's why sure. I don't like people that go rapid fire. I can't. I don't feel that way. I don't think that fast. Right. Fair. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that you know you you loved getting the feedback from from that girl who watched Wildcat. And so Still, to this day, I, I uh, in touch with her. Oh, that's Aww. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So we love stories like that, where we get to find out something more about you know, something that happened behind the scenes. Is there something that happened behind the scenes with the cast of any one of your shows that still stands out to you and something you think about brings a smile to your face? The most uh, exuberant time I ever had in my life was uh, had to do with Rob Paulson and it had to do with Bobby's World, Howie Mandel's show. Yeah. We did Meeker and Smurd. And so I was uh, one of them. I can't remember the name. And he was a guy like this, really high. He's a high tenor. I'm a baritone. It was the same character. It just one was low and one was high. So they'd get that confused when they animated it in Korea. And all of a sudden, the skinny guy had a low voice, and the fat guy uh, had a little voice. They get it mixed up. So we were always, you know, screwing up. Now, we've done nine years together at Ninja Turtles, sitting next to each other every week. My job was to make him laugh, then I knew it was good. So he's down the way from me, and we used to ad-lib and write ad-libs. In fact, the writers, Jim Stahl and Jim Fisher, uh, came into the director, and the director said, I don't see the lines for uh, Fraley and Paulson, their characters. And they went, yeah, we didn't write them. Why? <laughs> well, they improv, they improv everything. Why bother? So here we write down <laughs> improvs for our characters. And the director, and the, the cast is Tina Linsana and uh, Frank Welker. Mm -hmm. And Rob's way down there on, on the other side. And the director says, okay, they mix them up, so switch your scripts or switch characters because they mixed up your names on this. And I'm like, oh, no. So I took my, my script and I ripped off a part or had my ad libs for a line, really good one, and passed it down all the way to the end, past how we passed everybody. I said, these are uh, Rob's ad libs. And it got down to Frank Welker, and he looked at it, and he started crying laughing <laughs> where would you ever hear that here's rob's ad libs written by another guy and rob oh good god but that that shows you the ultimate freedom of animation and the uh, joy and rob was always good because you know when they cut and they talk it over you gotta keep buoyed you gotta come in with with a good solid uh kinetic energy mm -hmm. And he did that. He'd help us. There's some people oh, that are great. just great to have around a, a set, like Peter Jason's one of those actors. Mm -hmm. Just wonderful. I need to go watch Bobby's World again now, too. Bobby's World is a good show. Well yeah. written. And well Bobby. acted. Yeah. And Hannah Howard was there for all the shows back when he had hair. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That was back when he had hair. Oh my goodness. Well, I watched Bobby's World growing up and I, I've got a four-year-old daughter. So I've been experiencing the joy of introducing her to the TV shows that I watched growing up. And that's been, it's been very fun seeing 
these cartoons through my daughter's eyes. Cause I mean, they might not be as well animated as some of the things that she's used to now. But right. She currently, her current obsession is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like that is all she wants to watch right now. Um, a couple weeks ago, it was gummy bears. Like I love this. Kid. She was just watching gummy bears. And I'm like, this like, is great. I love well, you know, when gummy bears got in the market about 1983, all the animation got better. Because they had to, they had to do a better job. Because Scooby Doo is like a puppet show, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But you know, Tim, when you were a kid, it was in the middle or late '80s, right? Yeah, yeah. So you remember all the stuff I did when I was a kid. I was nine years old in 1958, and that's when Hanna Barbera put out Rough and Ready, and then there was Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear, and you know all these shows like that. So cut to when I'm 30 years old, I arrive from Australia and then Seattle and down and I'm do my first show, uh, a Scooby-Doo. And uh, I hear Don Messick and Dawes Butler who were on the Rough and Ready show. And I thought, oh, wow, what a freak show. I mean, can you believe I get to work with the people I grew up with? And I was 20 years younger. That's cool. Yeah, you know, uh, when my mom used to take my brother and me to the drive-in movie, that was where you could take people, right? Mm-hmm. And we watched a black and a white movie, and it was like, I think we went in such gentleman's agreement, you know, a snore to a kid, right? But right. before the film, there was Woody Woodpecker or Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and it was our time. And uh, I know it's changed now. There's certain shows that I don't watch because they're too rude, right? Right. But I love the idea of having a time for a child. Now, Warner Brothers were double-edged, but some shows aren't, and they're acceptable. You know, that actually does bring me to my next question, because you, most of your roles were PG, and I know that you mentioned because you had... You had four sons in five years, which seems yeah. You don't, you don't get that by shaking hands with your wife in the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. But I mean, some of the, you're right. Some of the animation now is just plain out rude. But do you think that there is still a place for for animation and entertainment for adults without crossing the PG line? I don't know what this the question is, Kathleen. Um, there's a market. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like anytime you see, even uh, Tim, when you see a star and he does a whole different side of him, it's delightful. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with animation. You get to hear them say things. And, you know, I, I, back in the day, I didn't even let my boys watch The Simpsons. Oh, they did. Because I, I taught Nancy Cartwright and worked with her. But I didn't want them to be saying, you know, how's your butt, you know, and you know, much stuff. Right. But when you get down to it, that still was acceptable stuff. And, and uh, I think it's all acceptable. I think uh, it's a matter of finding the market. Yeah. I, I do appreciate knowing, though, that it, it wasn't just me that when my parents said, don't watch The Simpsons, that we did anyway. <laughs> oh, they, they, you know, they were sneaky. They did stuff and don't. it was like, don't tell me about it. Right, yeah. But that's the way it is. And it's funny, that's like, right. I, I could have sworn that my parents had no idea that I was watching The Simpsons. Yeah, no, they totally did. 
I had just I sat down with my mother a few years back and we were at my parents' house and started filling her on all the things that she didn't know that I had done as a kid. Oh man, that is a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. 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 Well, I figured Don't I have would... a drink and do that. Well, I was in my 30s and I was like, you know what? I've uh 30 years old. I got three buried for how many years at this point? I got three kids. You know, uh, what can she do nope. to me? <laughs> she nope. was not still not she safe. She, I didn't get in trouble, but she was not very happy with me. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we joke around in my house, you know, because, um, you know, uh, like my dad can ask my mom to do something and she'll be like, mm, I'm busy. And, and I can call her five minutes later, ask for the exact same thing. And she's like, yeah, sure, honey, no problem. I'll, I'll get right on it. Uh-huh. And so I always joke with my dad that it's good to be the king. You know, use that line from, uh, you know. Um, it's uh, Mel Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, Mel Brooks, History of the World. Yes. And, uh, and uh, so I'll look at my dad and be like, it's good to be the king. And uh, <laughs> it's good, bad, say, and ugly. Yeah. Let's just say that for that night, my, my crown was a little bit less of less shined. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I know for a fact you got it back very quickly. <laughs> what can I say? She loves me. No, my mom's cool. Are you the baby? Cool. I am the baby. Uh, I met my wife when she was 19. I was 19. We're both 74. Okay. We married, uh, I came back from Australia and married her. And she told me, because I have a small apartment in LA, and I mean small, about 600 square feet. It's like the bedroom's over there, the kitchen's there, the bath, you know, right there. And I got in trouble for making fun of it because she had a house. Well, we have a house in Palm Desert then. And, uh, the other day I heard her say, yeah, I can't wait to go up and stay at the estate with you. <laughs> and you know what I said? Nothing. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? Probably the safest. Smile yeah. and nod, smile and nod. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The comedy team smile and nod. Yeah, that's how I've stayed married for 25 years. I My wife hasn't killed me yet. There so. you go. Not sure uh, that she's not going to in the future, but sure so far. There are days. Right. Uh, look, I give her plenty of opportunity and plenty of material. So, so. Having just been, I mean, it's just eight and a half years for me and my husband. Yeah. There, there are definitely days. <laughs> 43 for me and Renee. That's exciting. Well, that's awesome. That's amazing. So Amazing is a better word for it. All right, so I always love to ask this of people who've been married for for a long time. What's your secret to a happy marriage? The secret is uh, there's no secret. It's honoring and um, fast to ask forgiveness. The other person is fast to forgive. Mm -hmm. Moving on, you know, leaning on each other. Okay, but it's, it's it's life, so it's painful. You know, we're ta- we talk about all this fun and cartoons. Well, th- there's another side to this, and it's all the pain that we suffer. Sure. You know, not we meaning a performer. I mean, people. It's tough on everybody, and you can't compare pain. Oh, you know, no, no, no. Somebody has something painful, and then another person loses their mate to death. It's It's pain. Right. So we have to recognize that generally, speaking overall understand that pains and have a heart for other people and look at this and somebody's living it out of a tent 
I'm that close to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if I have pensions and this. I'm that close to it. Have a heart. Agreed. Absolutely. Very cool, Pat. Well, we are at a point of the show where we like to kind of start rounding things down and we like to ask our guests what we call a silly question. Now, you can answer this as serious or silly as you deem fit, okay? Yeah. All right, so here it goes. Pat, if you had to choose one animal to help you win a fight, what animal are you choosing and why? A male rooster, and there's no reason I have to explain why. <laughs> and you notice I said male rooster? I didn't go for the cheap joke. <laughs> no, that made it better. Yep, totally did. Yeah. <laughs> after, after saying that you lived in Australia, I thought you would go, go with kangaroo, because kangaroos are scary. Oh, d- they are. I met them. You know, I saw them over there because I toured the outback. Mm-hmm. And we went to Kangaroo Island. Now, there is really weird because they've never been hunted. They've never had a problem with uh, people. And so you go on this island and you go to this, and they're all laying around, you know, smoking around, taking, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, they're sitting around and they look at you like, what are you doing here? Okay, well, whatever. But uh, I've seen them fight, and those tails are will oh, break sure, a leg yeah. and they box you they will yeah those they are strong animals they are muscle bound let me put it this way anything that grows a flower a weed anything or an animal of any kind is uh ready to kill you and you can die from in australia everything is venomous That's australia yeah australia is the devil's play box so <laughs> Australia is just waiting to kill you. Shrews, Tasmanian devils, oh, the, the, the wombat. Oh my goodness. And you what an attitude. Think, you wouldn't think that wombat would be that ferocious. They're so No, cute. he looks cute, but he'll kill you. Yeah. I so want to go to Australia, but I want to do it from like inside of a you know a shielded tent where you know like it's all metal and there's a little You're bit of wire mesh bubble. and yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't want to touch that, mate. That'll turn your old fella purple. You don't. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, oh, Pat, we have enjoyed our conversation with you so much today. Good. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and your teaching classes? Okay, patfraley.com. P-A-T-F-R-A-L-E-Y.com. If you go there, everything's there my home study courses, and free lessons, over 50. Mm-hmm. And so if you go there, you can watch and listen to lessons on voiceover. In the contacts is my email, teaches at aol.com, and my phone number. And, I, and I'm available to talk. And email is better than phone, by the way, until I go to heaven, and then I'm not. I'm not accessible. All right, we will definitely link your website. That I mean, I'm I know I'm gonna go look at it. Oh, you got I'm it. Go look at your classes. It, looks, it sounds it's like a fun. cool website. It is a very cool website. I spent a little bit of time there uh, yeah, yesterday afternoon, fun. a little bit this morning as well. 
All right, guys, we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help us to get more amazing guests like Pat Fraley here to have these great conversations and funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can ever really ever describe. And go check out Pat's website. There's so many cool things on there. There's there's books, there's videos, there's there's all kinds of stuff. Just just go to the website. Uh, yeah, patfraley.com, and you will be happy to do that, that you went there as well. And go check out our Patreon page, because some of the content that I'm sure that we had here today will actually be on the Patreon page as behind the scenes and bonus content. So you might want to go check it out there. And for whatever reason, remember, if you're not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. And that, of course, is Krang of Dimension X. Sure. That's right. If they don't like it, don't lump it. Tell them. <laughs> uh, he might just be an alien in a robot body, but with an IQ of 968, he's sure to figure out the root cause of the problem and determine a solution. So submit a digital copy, and we will wait for the Technodrome to roll in our general direction so we can find out what our fate will be if Crane can ever get it unstuck. <laughs> Pat, thank you so much. This has been awesome. My pleasure. Bye, mm -hmm. Kathleen. <laughs> Bye. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for the FSF Podcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2023 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.